0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week, 30th of January, Feb 3, our first one back.
2: Ooh, exciting times. You guys talked about your earthquake experience while you're on holidays, and also we got to chat to Melissa Hickey, who plays for the Melbourne Football Club. He's going to be a regular for the football season.
0: And we boasted about our accomplishments for Toot Horn Tuesday, and then we spoke to Richard Katz, who's doing the encounter at the Malt House. Uh, sounds like an amazing show. What a week! It's a long time since I've been looking forward to a show. As much as I'm looking forward to seeing the encounter, which is on at the Malt House between well, to, starting tonight and running till the tenth of February. We're fortunate to be joined in the studio by Richard Katz, who is the sole performer in the show. Welcome to Breakfast. Good morning. This is a play about a man called Lauren McIntyre who became lost in the Amazon in 1969. Who was Lauren McIntyre and what happened to him?
3: Uh, well, he was a photographer for the National Geographic and uh, he was there because he cut a deal with the Geographic. Basically, he was, uh, at the time, no, no, no white person had found the source of the Amazon River. And so they said to him that they would fund his trip if he tried to get some photographs of the Myruna people who at that point were an an uncontacted tribe. And so he finds himself, he gets dropped off on a a branch of the Amazon called the Javari, and he's he's dropped off with nothing except his camera and some equipment. And he finds uh, the Myruna and through a sequence of um, accidents and uh, other events. He loses most of his equipment and he ends up sort of having to stay with them for a period of time that he doesn't really know how long it is. And, I mean, he has an experience that he uh, he can't really explain. Uh, it's a, it's a, a communication with the headman of the tribe about where they're going and what they're doing. And, and, um, and so the, the play is really an exploration of his time with them, but uh, it also allows us to talk about all sorts of other things like... What it is to be alone uh, with other people, and also what consciousness is—the well, Amazon, you know, indigeneity. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, there's a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> and and McIntyre was a reputable journalist, yeah, wasn't he? he was even was though really, his experiences were yeah, quite was, unbelievable, and he was pretty famous at the time. He was—he was, you know, as, as uh, important at the Geographic as it's possible to get. You know, he was one of their main photographers, and so that so he was had a lot of trust from from. Um, the geographic and so was allowed to I mean you know I, I think he probably expected to be there for five or six days Uh he, he he when he makes first contact he's so excited he forgets to mark his trail back to his his camp so he gets drawn um by following uh, a, a small group of them further and further and further into the forest and then he realises I don't know how to get back and so he tries to communicate with them that he wants to get back to his camp but then it's clear that something's happening something that he can't explain that the tribe are obviously on the move very quickly they keep dismantling their um equipment and all their settlement moving further into the forest making another camp moving further making another camp breaking it moving further and all the while he's trying to photograph them and then through a series of events he loses his camera he loses all his equipment and uh, he realizes that he's just going to have to the, his best way of survival is just to be one of them uh and, uh, he, as I say, he doesn't really know how long he's with them. He loses track of time. That's one of the important parts of the show is our relationship with time uh, and what it is, what it means, you know. Uh, um, and uh, eventually uh, he, he finds his way back, uh, obviously.
2: That's a maddening thought of not knowing time. Yeah. So, like when you...
3: Yeah, well, when you don't know
2: how long you've been somewhere, and
3: yeah, so he, he and, and he and, and all the while, as as the further he uh, goes into the forest, the the more this apparent communication with the heaven of the tribe is happening, and it's happening wordlessly. He keeps getting what he called these beamed messages. And he didn't talk about this experience for twenty years. He was too embarrassed. He he thought people would just think he was crazy, and um, the the wordless communication happens to, to such an intense uh in such an intense way that he's pretty sure that they he's being taken to something for something and then at some point later on they meet another branch of the Runa, and there's a man there who speaks speaks portuguese so he's able to talk to his new friend and says oh, i've been very weird i'm having these what i think are communications with the headman and the the the, the new uh, the new shaman who arrives he says yeah no that's happening Wow, he's, he's talking to you in the other language.
1: Did people believe uh, him when he did tell this story?
3: Do you know what? I don't think he talked about it for twenty years, and then the person that he spoke to is a journalist called Petru Popescu, who's a, a sort of Romanian who now lives in uh, the states. He he sort of gradually drew McIntyre out, and the book that appeared um, that, that, that was created um, from his uh, these discussions is called Amazon Beaming. And uh, it was that book that we that we got as, as the theatre company. Someone in the company, Simon, our director, he read it 20 years ago and went, well, this is interesting. And uh, it took us about 10 years to work out how to do it and how we might do it. We used some pretty funky sound technology to help draw the audience further and further into the forest. Um, and, um, yeah, so... Um, it was something that he wasn't comfortable talking about i mean you can i mean it's 1969 yeah. so there's obviously all sorts of different things going on because there are cultures part of the you know the the sort of relationship with the east is growing mm-hmm. and in the 60s and people are thinking okay it's okay to talk about our feelings and you know yeah. things like that so i think he probably gradually would have felt more comfortable but uh, yeah
0: the, the idea of a white explorer contacting first people's and having psychedelic experiences is something of a cliché. I mean, yeah, if you have Carlos Castaneda and all those hippie, trippy yeah. books. minus any of this play kind of undercuts that quite systematically? How does we, it do that?
3: Well, we, I mean, we, we talked a long time about how on earth we do this show because essentially we're a, a, you know, a London theatre company. We tour internationally. We do a lot of international work. But at some point, if you're telling the story of the Myruna people, we're going, well, hang on. At some point, is one of us going to have to pretend to be one of the myrona it felt very icky you know and also in london our relationship with you know the indigeneity and questions about first contact and things those those things feel very removed from our day-to-day experiences so we, we we didn't want to tell this sort of boy's own story of a man yomping into the forest and meeting these cute little you know other people mm. we, we just you know so, so we it was as much it's it's the story just happens to be about that i think it's much more about what it is to be alone amongst other people and that's the great thing about doing it in a theater is that that's more or less the act of being in a theater is that you're sat there with two three four five hundred people but you are alone and what we have we have our audience wearing headphones so everyone in the show, in the audience has got a pair of headphones on, and so we 're able to give them what feels like a very personal experience. so we put you on stage. we have these incredible microphones that record sound in a, a very special way, and so it feels like you 're in the middle of the stage at certain bits. so if I make a sound behind that microphone, you will look behind you because you feel like oh, it 's wow. right behind you and so and so we we tell the story from the perspective of the people in the audience and their experience i think and so the, the 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 idea that we might be um you know in a sort of documentary way telling the cute story of these uh the people who don't quite have as much technology as we have and all that kind of thing i, I think we, we're able to avoid that and um because obviously especially here in this culture you know in, in this country we're very aware that these subjects are things that you know are present for you all the time mm. um especially as, as as we all get a little bit more conscious about these things so uh, we spent most of the time in rehearsals thinking about how we could tell the story in an in a really honest way but also a way that doesn't make the audience ha- have to uh, you know worry about that question we're, we're sort of taking them in a in a sort of hopefully in a different direction
0: during the construction of the play i read somewhere that. Um, the company travelled to Brazil and spent considerable
3: time with uh, Marajai people. Yeah, the Marajai. So, so the Mayaruna are part of a bigger community. It's a bit like, um, I don't know, being a North Melbourneite rather than a South Melbourneite, You know, <laughs> So the Maiaruna are part of the, a, a bigger group called the Marajai. And so Simon, uh, our director, Simon McBurney, who you might know from, you'll have seen him in movies and things and all sorts of other stuff. Um, and uh, he, well, we were, while we were making the show, Uh, he went and met uh, the Marajai, And uh, they're a very um, politically engaged uh, group of people. They are trying to bring back their language and try and bring back some of their traditional practices, which over the the course of the late 20th 20th, 20th century and into the 21st century have sort of dwindled. So they're they're very conscious that the environment that they live in um, um, is yes it's theirs but it's also ours and they're, they're, they're very very aware that climate change is real that it's uh, you know um, an ongoing struggle the water level for them is a very um, important and um, uh, present uh, um, factor and uh, so Simon went there and he spent uh, a couple of weeks there and the first thing that they asked him was why are you here <laughs> and he explained <laughs> about Lauren McIntyre's story and the wanting to make the story and the headman of the tribe, this man called Loraval, he said, OK, well, I look, when you go home and talk to your people, that's everyone out there and people in the theatre, that's us lot, he it. To, I want you to tell the world that we exist. So that's sort of the job of the play, really, is just to say, look, the Maiaruna exist, they are real. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're actively engaged politically and their struggle is real and it's a day-to-day struggle, what um, with the destruction of their natural environment, the Amazon Basin, but also... Um, their way of life and their way of being, you know, before we arrived, they were completely self-sufficient. And most indigenous peoples are like that. You know, I've spent a bit of time in Sri Lanka and the thing was amazing is that, you know, they talk about, okay, here's a coconut tree and we don't just eat the coconuts, we use the, I don't know, we use the shells for charcoal, we use the leaves for other things. So every part of the tree is used and you look around Sri Lanka and all the rubbish is our rubbish. It's bottles of Coke and old cars and things. So sort of, you know, and... Um, you know, it, it, all all these things are very difficult to talk about because it's, it's quite comfortable being in North London, putting your feet up and, and, <laughs> and not worrying all about all those things. But if you're going to do a play about the peoples of the Amazon basin, you have to you have to confront it. And I'm, I'm making it sound like the show is really dry and <laughs> really, it really it really isn't. It's it's. The show works best when we we tell ourselves just before when well, I say we, I'm a, I'm the only one in it, but um, we have a little talk before we go on. Me and the assistant director and things. It's just a story. It's a it's a it's a story that we approach very gradually. So the opening of the show, you won't you won't know you're in a show about the Amazon because it's just me and talking about some microphones and talking about our cameras and things. And it's a very gentle bedtime story almost. It, and, and the sound, the presence of the sound, sort of comes in in in. in a very gradual way, and so by the time half an hour in, and we're, we're, we're sort of right in it, you know, right in the sort of meat of the story, um, you you feel like you've been sort of g- drawn in, we, we don't sort of, and we don't, it's not a didactic thing, we're not trying to teach you, Well, look, we must preserve the Amazon basin, and it's all very, <laughs> you know, it, it's a story, and it's a really, really on on the most basic level what I think the reason why people like it is because you can treat it as a boy's own story it's this guy who goes there he gets lost he gets trouble and then he escapes but also it's about so many other things and as I say we really do pack it in it's an hour and 50 minutes and I'm talking the whole way through (laughs) and there's a lot of words and a lot of things to think about but within all that is the spaciousness of the forest and the sounds of the forest and you know you have rainforest here and I've been up the East Coast a little bit uh, over the years. And, you know, to be surrounded by... You're aware that, you know, you're there and there's stuff. There's a lot of stuff, (laughs) you know. And so we try and hopefully we try and... That's that's part of the show as well. It's not just this um, torrent of... um, you know it's, we're not just sort of trying to tell you how clever we are by any means it's a story it's, and it should be fun it should be exciting there's jokes in there sometimes <laughs>
0: <laughs> well as i said um i'm really looking forward to see it. it's been getting rave reviews the show's called the encounter it's on at the Malthouse. house starts tonight runs to the 10th we've been talking to the performer behind the show richard Katz. thanks so much for coming
3: oh you're very welcome
2: It is Tuesday, time to toot your horn, I'll go first. My name is Jason Bourne, and if I wanted to, I could buy a house in Hawthorne. Toot your horn Tuesday.
0: (laughs) That's nice, Jason.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I reckon he could if he wanted to. The spy, Jason Bourne, from the movies... That
0: would be a different movie. identity from the Bourne the trilogy
2: movies.
1: Maybe that could be Bourne 5. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the Hawthorne identity.
1: He wears <laughs> lots of cashmere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, uh,
2: hello to all our listeners in from Hawthorne. Hawthorne. <laughs> we love you. Uh, I'm not far from Hawthorne, Next, just next door. Anyway, uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah go for it. I built a fence. What? Really? On Saturday... Wow. Build a
1: fence. Kind of wish you didn't go first because this is a good uh-huh. Yeah. Well, This is a loud horn you're tooting right <laughs> yeah, now.
2: it is. Ba-ba. A fence? What kind of fence? Uh, a chicken fence. So uh went to um, Kath's parents and they have chickens except uh, so they have their coop that they're in yep. that's, you know, for night time and then rather than um, – so there's a certain area of the garden that it's free range for them to walk around but – um, they just want a little bit, not the whole garden because they, they otherwise. stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah. poo everywhere.
2: Yeah. So they uh, were set up at a certain area, but and there was a temporary fencing put up, but it was, Caspar um, was like, I want to be able to see the chickens. Yeah.
0: There's no point having it if you can't. So was, is a chicken fence a fence? Or is it just. Uh-huh.
1: What do you mean? Well, no, it was just more like chicken wire and. <laughs> No, 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 it wasn't chicken wire. Oh, okay. This is
0: to you. We got to build each other's achievements. i not tear them down. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
2: yeah, we, no, we had to. We went to Bunnings and got some um, posts oh, po- Well wow. not proper fence posts, just like just big pine logs that we um, fence no. posts. Yeah, took took home and we um, sawed them in half. And oh, wow. yeah, yeah. That sounds just, almost
0: like a Trump style wall.
2: Yeah, and I dug some holes and no. put the posts in. And then got the wire and we put the... I used a drill and everything. Thank
1: how
2: you. Do, how do you know... How did you know what to do? Kath. right oh. <laughs> Kath gave out all the instructions. I feel like we should
0: get Kath into <laughs> <doing> two <the laughs> Yeah. No.
2: Hey, I... no. Yeah, sure, she came up with the idea and did all the, you know, thinking behind it, but I was digging holes. You were the
1: brawn. Mm, thank you. Well, that's a tough oh. act to follow. <laughs>
0: Uh, so, yesterday in evening after work, yesterday night, I had to go to a meeting in my building because there's going to be possibly some repair works being done in, in How the long building.
2: has that been going on it's for? It's been
0: going for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but we had this big meeting so to discuss all the ins and outs of it and it was held in uh, one of the offices that's in the building. So, this is like, almost like a boardroom. Yeah. And I must say, I feel completely out of my depth. You know, so they give me all these spreadsheets and stuff. We have to look at all these things and I just, you know, I do my best. I realise it's an important thing and I look at it and I try and understand it. But um, I'm glad that there are other people who had more understanding <laughs> than I did. <laughs> but anyway, um, because I was in a the boardroom, they, when we got there, there were all these chips and food and stuff and also two bottles of wine.
2: Oh, and oh you drank with both the bottles of wine. <laughs> Mr. Pancetta Hands was back <laughs>
0: Well, no, and here's the, the, the thing, nobody else was drinking, because I, people were saying they're on um starting that detox, you know, fed fast, fed fed fast, fast, you know, and they didn't want to drink anything. Well, so it's Monday night. and Yeah, mm. <laughs> also, it's an important <laughs> meeting, but so I said, oh, well, you know, I, I'll have some of that red wine, and so... You know, and then I, I'm sipping my red wine, and I'm not very nice, and looking at all the documents and trying my best to understand it. And then, about three quarters through the, the water the <laughs> woman saw me looking at the bottle and said, Would you like some more? Yes, so of she poured me some more. And I did, I mean, I'm not trying to say I wasn't drunk during the meeting or anything, I was paying careful attention or whatever. But then I had to leave early because I had to go and prep for, for, for today. And mm. <laughs> I was going, the woman was telling really me, said, "He Would you like to take the bottle with you?
4: Oh, my God. uh, I I don't know. What (laughs) are you tweeting about here? (laughs) (laughs) I even
0: I got a free
4: bottle of wine.
2: That is like... Your ability to
1: look like someone who drinks a lot (laughs) (laughs) scored you a free bottle of wine.
0: (laughs) You take it where you can get it.
2: (laughs) But it's so great (laughs) and sad at the same time. It's so great
0: and sad.
4: It's
2: like oh, it's at the same time, It's the best toot your horn, and also, well, <laughs>
0: cool. I mean, it's early in the year. I'm, we sure, all I'm n- sure there'll be new lo- low points as the year progresses. Wow!
2: No, I don't know if it is a low point. <laughs> I, it is. It is great to get a free bottle of wine. I'm on like, your side, Jeff. I feel well, like have um, rewritten toot the horn. Yeah, but th- there's also that. Yeah. <laughs> I love the. Jesus, the long details to get there. It was such a long story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I can't really follow that up. I don't know what I could do. What did I do yesterday? So you know how my oven has been broken for a year and a oh, half? Stop. No, I Googled a number uh-huh. for for someone that can come and look at my oven and then I put it in
2: my phone. <sighs> oh, okay. But I haven't even a No, that's... That's baby steps, Baby mate. steps. It's been a year and a half. You don't I want know. to go too hard. Too I nearly made the call,
1: but then I just was like, I can't why, do why rush
3: into, it. into
2: it. Like, <laughs> so do it? These is. things take
1: time. So I had a glass of wine. Instead. I can't believe you haven't tutored the bloody vegetables that you were... Oh, but I kind of feel like, we oh, yeah. Also, I've grown lots of vegetables. Did yeah, you that's see great this from
2: that. my garden? Yeah, I did see it five, This is from a couple of weeks it was back. It from a couple of weeks yeah. ago,
1: yeah. Yeah. People may remember that about six months ago, I tooted my horn about actually digging up the garden and trying to make something of it. And, and in now, the meantime, I've grown many, many cucumbers, many gigantic mm-hmm. cucumbers, tomatoes, chilies, capsicum, tomatoes, good. beetroot, <gasps> lettuce, wow. celery. That's it. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, that's quite an achievement. Thank
2: you. Hmm. So it was yours.
0: AFL Women's Picture is kicking off this weekend. to Talk us through what's going on. We're joined this week and through the entirety of the season by the Melbourne Football Club's Melissa He. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thanks for having me, guys. You- G'day,
2: Kaz. <laughs> <laughs> We've
0: got to be related, yeah. sure.
2: <laughs> Yeah, thank you, everybody.
0: Are you pretty hyped for what's about to happen?
4: Yeah, absolutely pumped. I feel like we've been talking about this for months and months. I think the marquee announcements were back in July, so it's probably been six months. Wow. (laughs) I cannot wait to get out on the field and just play some footy.
0: And um, what do you think um, the relationship is going to be between the men's game and the women's game? Do you think that um, it's going to be generating a new audience or...? re-energising yeah. an old audience so how do you
4: think it's all going to work out yeah a bit of both of those I think um, I mean the people that I speak to kind of that are out in the streets and in the cafes like they're all really excited about it and I know there's a lot of women that I've been chatting to and have, they've never been interested in football before and, and suddenly now they're interested and um, I mean obviously you see a lot of the comments on social media there's going to be a, a sector of the community that aren't going to supported as well which don't is Don't read is the fine. comments mate Yeah I <laughs> know yeah, you shouldn't should you no. We
1: don't read our comments so, <laughs> so there's going to be some differences between the two games uh, for those that haven't kind of read up on it and know what's happening what's different about the women's game as opposed to the rules with the men's game
4: Yeah so there's only a couple of um, little differences so the, the size of the ball is a little bit smaller so we use a size 4 um, ball they're going with 16 aside, side, um, which we've never played before other than the exhibition game. So that's probably going to be something that's quite significantly different. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably clubs will have a little bit of um, point of difference that whether they'll take out a, a forward and a, a back or take out the wings. So that's probably going to be something that's, yeah, new to us. Are you undecided on what's going to happen with that yet? Yeah, I think – it. I guess the idea is to, to create more flow of play and, mm. and less stoppages, but um, – yeah, I think that's probably something they'll they'll review at the end of the season as well. Uh, yeah. I guess it's got good intentions, but yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a lot more running for us, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so then there'll be six on the bench, so 16 aside. And then we've got 15-minute um, quarters. So I think given sort of the time of the year, given we're in the middle of summer, Um, I think they're expecting some warmer temperatures. So 15 minutes plus time on. So that should make it a little bit shorter games. And then the other little difference is that they're they're throwing the ball up. They're not going to bounce it. So I think some supporters will enjoy that. (laughs) Is that because of the size of the ball? Yeah, it might be, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. I think they just practice it so hard, it's such a refined skill that yeah, it must make that much of a difference.
0: For sure. So what, tell us about what's happening this weekend. You're saying off air that tonight maybe there's going to be 15,000 plus yeah. people. What's it going to be like for people experiencing that for the first time?
4: Oh, it's going to be amazing. I, um, I haven't been to a game. Obviously, um, Princess Park hasn't hosted games for so many years. I remember being a youngster and going there and just the energy around like the park and people streaming in. Uh, it 's going to be incredible um, um, we 're not really meant to be watching too many games, so i 'm going to go for the first quarter and <laughs> just get the atmosphere and then go home and watch it so um, yeah it 's just amazing. I think um, we'll find yeah like those people we were speaking about they 're going to come come along and watch that that might not have been interested for a while or new supporters as well so that 's the exciting thing. What are you
1: expecting from this weekend so there 's a bunch of games happening across the weekend Carlton Collingwood tonight, Adelaide Crow 's GWS. Uh, tomorrow, along with Western Bulldogs and Frio and Sunday, Melbourne and Brizzy. Is there any particular teams or matches that you're looking at and – other than your own that you're playing, that you're looking at and going, oh, that's going to be the matchup that we've been waiting for or that you're expecting something from in particular?
4: I think it's actually an awesome opening round that we're going to probably find out a few things. Um, There's just so many unknowns. I think um, it's probably the first time I've ever gone into a season not really knowing where you stand and and who who really is. The favourites you can kind of look at on paper, but... Um, Tonight will be a really good indicator of um, who out of those two teams are, are really going to be um, dangerous. And then um, the Adelaide GWS, I guess everyone's expecting them to probably sort of be the, down the bottom of the eight. So yeah. Why is just that? To see. Um, just the depth of those states, I think um, they've traditionally kind of in our national carnival probably been in the lower divisions. So. so did
1: they all have to pull from their own states? Were they able to have players um, from other states?
4: Yeah, so other states, a couple of girls from Victoria have moved up to um, both... Um, Brisbane and um, also Sydney, Um, Adelaide have got a a mixture of the Northern Territory um, girls as well as Adelaide. But but
2: when the, um, what do you call it, when people were trying to join a team, there's no travel costs or anything involved in that. So that's why Adelaide has just got... You know, so if they got plays from the Northern Territory, those girls had to pay their own
4: way. Yeah, down so they've it. they've had a unique structure. They've been like training separately up in Darwin, right? And then the Adelaide girls have obviously be trained together. And I think they've had a couple of camps. So again, that's that's a unique kind of challenge yeah. in terms of having two ice two isolated groups that are coming together. Yeah. We we know some of the kind of big names. Um, I mean, you know, Mo Hope and
1: yourself, and so you I'm know, not the, that big a name. Oh, you me. are. <laughs> But there's, you know, there's the names that we've been kind of seeing over the last six months in particular and before that in some of the kind of practice rounds. Uh, Who do you think are going to be the stars that we might not know about yet uh, that are ones to watch?
4: Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, um, given the 16 side, I think those really good players will will be the standouts. Yeah. um, the things that I'm excited about, um, down at, at um, the D's, we've got a, a frisbee player who's going to run the wing and she just... <gasps> what do you mean just, a frisbee player? Is so that yeah, it? ultimate frisbee? Ultimate frisbee. Wow. So she captained Australia and has travelled all over the world playing frisbee, ultimate frisbee. So she's just a, a pure athlete. She can just run all day. So I think those little surprise packets that, yeah, they're going to be the exciting ones to see. I could probably only really speak about... What's her the name? The about our surprise. Um, Cat Phillips. There you go. So she'll be marshalling that wing up and down um, huh. like a machine. Um, so I mean, Aster O'Connor, at the Bulldogs, I, I used to play with her. She's um, a Darabin girl as well, and she's been out of the game for a little while with an ACL. So she'll be coming back, um, raring to go. Um, I think she's had probably 80 months out of the game, so... Um, she'll be obviously someone to, to watch marshalling sort of the halfback for the Bulldogs. Yeah. So awesome. is, is that
0: a kind of a common experience with the players that because they couldn't play footy after a certain level that they went off and did all sorts of other yeah. sports? I mean you got people are there people there from other sort of unexpected sports that people might not have thought of?
4: Yeah, I think we've, they're just the netballers, soccer players. Uh frisbee's probably the most random one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What's the preseason been like?
1: Because you've got a mix of players, people like you who have played kind of more professionally for a longer period of time and then girls who are coming in from other sports so how have you kind of managed that pre-season?
4: Yeah I think a lot of the girls at the start found it really hard I mean um, we were training sort of three nights a week and we're probably in there for about five hours from start to by the time you go home so and then yeah obviously balancing that with full-time but um, full-time work so a lot of the girls probably had never done a a proper pre-season we were doing strength programs as well a lot of them probably wouldn't have done that so just your body's kind of goes... I had no doubt they they went into shock a little bit and that first month was probably really hard until your body does adjust. Um, And we had a really solid kind of Christmas running program that we had to do in our two weeks off. So this side of Christmas has been a bit more game-focused, so you're doing less of the the long running and you can kind of... uh, It's a lot more exciting when you're chasing the ball, yeah. (laughs) Are there any particular skills that... uh you've had to
1: focus on the most particularly for people from coming from other sports what's the kind of main skill area that's been the focus
4: um i think we've i've i've learned so much this this um oh, i guess what's it been three months just we're doing a lot of craft work so okay. um a lot of the men's team do that's not too taxing on your body but you are you're working on just basically picking the ball up off the ground and protecting yourself and just doing that over and over just that that little technique and and tackling like tackling something i've never really ever been taught before so really just, yeah you just kind of Grab them when you're at the local club. You just you just do drills and you just um, yeah you just grab them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's it been like um, coping with all the media attention? I mean, you know that this has suddenly become so big time and such a big focus from the media. I mean, has that, has that been hard for some of the players?
4: Um, yeah, I have no doubt. It's it's just all new and it's. Um I mean, obviously exciting. But. Yeah, so exciting. I guess that that's going to be the, the thing come game day is how many of the girls have got their heads in the right place and um, we've had a lot of chats, obviously, um, with the leadership group and, and just to the girls about... Control the things you can control and, and keep a lid on it and, and don't get too overawed because, I mean, a lot of the girls wouldn't have played in front of more than a couple of hundred people and and we we might have a few thousand out there hopefully on Sunday. I and would then there'll cry be cameras so and, much. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there must be such a huge amount of pressure too because there's all this conversation about what's this league going to be like, what are the skills going to be like. You've got people who are waiting to kind yep. of jump yeah. on you and you know attack, but then you've got a lot of support as well. And there must you must feel that pressure a little bit to kind of perform yeah, at your best 100%. this weekend. Yeah, yeah, and as
4: a marquee player, obviously that's that's something that pressure that you do kind of feel um that little bit more as well but um i guess you just go back to your old old faithful um things you tell yourself that help you get along and that you you're here for a reason you've done a lot of hard work and that's going to help as well and then yeah once the ball's bounced everything seems to kind of fade away throwing up you, mate you're throwing it up a throwing up yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can't use it anymore yeah <laughs>
1: Oh, That's I'm so excited you're going to be coming in every week to chat to us about it, ha- however it goes. I kind of can't wait till this weekend's done and we can talk about it next yeah, week. Mm.
0: Same. Yes, well, there'll be a lot more to talk about after this week. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks And so much. we will talk to you next week. Thanks so much, Melissa Hickey. You're Triple R.
1: You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. Uh, so we just recently got back from holidays, clearly. Holiday. All of us,
2: That's it was
1: really nice. everything. It was really nice. <laughs> uh, each one of us went overseas to different places. I went to Japan. I went
0: to New Zealand.
1: I went to New York. And we all had excellent experiences, <laughs> but two of us experienced something that the other one didn't, which was an earthquake.
0: Yes. Whilst yeah. we were both overseas. I was just gonna say, when you put it like that, it's almost like we made some vow to separate <laughs> the no, as far away as possible from one
1: another.
0: <laughs> it Wasn't that uh, at all?
1: No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, and so, when I was gonna flying to, to the day before I left to go to, to fly into Tokyo, a friend of mine's dad, who is a geologist, um, was having a bit of a chat with me, and he's like, "Oh, just be, you know, be careful of the earthquakes. You, you know, things are really rough around there at the moment." And a really great thing to say to me that was his warning view. And then he said, "You know, if there's an earthquake, just." You know, make sure you don't run outside and let the glass fall on you. He was trying to give me all this advice and I just said, I really don't want to hear this because the chance of there being an earthquake and I'm there are quite low. And the first night I was in Tokyo, we experienced an earthquake. How, about, is,
2: how much Whoa, holding on? Well, let me tell
1: you. So I was – we were in an apartment building. I was airbnb and I was seven stories up. And I had gone to sleep and Andrew hadn't. And I woke up and thought Andrew was shaking the bed just to be an <laughs> is, idiot. I don't know that why. Is something no. he <laughs> does. Oh, but that's what – it was like my brain had – that's what it <laughs> – so I sat up and was like, Andrew, stop it. And then I was like, oh, Andrew's not shaking the bed. That wouldn't make sense anyway. Why would he do that? And then he walked in from the bathroom and we were just staring at each other and I was like, oh – this is an earthquake and the
2: wow. building was... Was that your first one my ever? My
1: first proper one. Like, I've had tremors in Melbourne, yeah. uh, but the, the building was just swaying from side to side because they're built for that. Like, they're that, meant to right? do yeah. that. But I just never experienced that. And I didn't feel scared because I could clearly tell. No, there was no alarms so going did off. Did anyone react? Or were people no outside? one. Just me and Andrew going, it's an earthquake. It's an earthquake. What do we do? It's an earthquake. It was just, that was all we did, kind of yelling at each other. and then For how long did it last? Probably, I think it was only about... 10 seconds, but it honestly felt like two minutes. It felt like a very long time because when you're in it, you're having all this time to process Mm. what was happening. No furniture fell over or anything. Uh, People didn't seem even slightly concerned (laughs) in Tokyo. So I think that that is really common. And I think it was only 4.5 or 5 And it was a, it was actually a, you could, it was the the epicenter was ages away, and the actual earthquake itself was a seven point five somewhere else in Japan, and then it had just, but apparently it's just no big biggie. This this you happens know, all
0: the time. That was what it was like for us too. Um, we were staying in Kaikoura in New Zealand, and it was the epicenter mm. of an earthquake in New Zealand last year. That in fact, just after we booked our holiday there, the whole town got destroyed.
3: Mm. So yeah.
0: when we even when we were driving down, the, the, the highways were still all closed, and you could see where there'd been all these landslides from the <laughs> earthquake. Did that uh, worry you? Or did you just not think about it? We, we weren't certain whether we were going to be able to get there, yeah. like because people were, the people were saying that it'd been closed. Not that we wouldn't be able to get there; it was going to take hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And um, and when you got there, like the whole town was full of these little notices in all the windows of the buildings because it all had to be cleared by engineers. Yeah, so right. like they'd say, this building is safe, this building is condemned and no one can go in it, and this building it's okay to go in and take stuff out, but you can't. It was like so, so it was like almost like there'd been a plague. You know what I mean? Like yeah, everyone had yeah. to, have these, and they had to apparently keep them up for weeks and weeks and and weeks. But we were staying in a um in these little cabins in this um like a caravan park. And one of the nights we were exactly what you said. It's like. You know, the bed starts shaking and you're not really sure. That's, did I imagine that or yeah. did that which just... is
1: why I think my brain went
0: Andrew shaking
1: the okay. bed because I've never felt that in my life. I, yeah. Um, so
0: we did the same thing. We were just like, oh, this is an earthquake. And so we ran outside. <gasps> Don't do that. The glass will fall on <laughs> you. <laughs> well, but so we, were okay. so we ran outside and then we're standing in the middle of this bloody car. And no one's paying any attention yeah, no one at can all. It, and right? then you kind of think like, okay, I'll just go back inside. Yeah. But the next day we were down the... Um, Buying some food in a supermarket talking to someone there. And apparently they've had four thousand aftershocks. Oh since, my god. Since the earthquake. And apparently like it's a normal thing that happened. So they were just completely blasé about it.
1: But you would be if you've had some if you had a real one, I guess you know what a like if you had a massive one, you know what a massive one feels like. Our friends who've just moved to Tokyo, they've been told they have to have an earthquake kit, so that if they experience one that's kind of like the Fukushima one, like one that's a large size, it can affect Tokyo City so much that everything shuts down, so they have to have Cash, a thousand dollars cash. They have to have like drinking water, they have to have edible food and blankets and stuff. And the cash is because often like I think after Fukushima the um the all the electricity. Years. Yeah, and just all electricity in Tokyo went down for ages and stuff. So there's all these things that they have to have in this little earthquake kit.
0: Wow. You're right. I know. But um well yeah, Christchurch when I was I had to spend a day in Christchurch and they're still I still There was an earthquake there, like, a few years ago, but they haven't rebuilt any of it because apparently it liquefied the soil underneath the city and so, like, it's still really unsafe to build anything. Really? It's just weird in the centre of the city. It's just kind of like all these just half-constructed buildings and there's nothing around because it's like the whole city's been sort of rendered unsafe by the earthquake. It's very strange.
2: When I was about 16, I was at home once and I was standing at the kitchen sink. I might have told you this before, standing at the kitchen sink peeling some potatoes and my um, father was in the lounge room. He was doing some exercises i don't know why all of a sudden he decided to start doing some sit-ups or something in the lounge room and then there there was an earthquake and like it was kind of it was quite small it was it was strong enough to make me hold on to the sink and go whoa and um mum thought that dad had fallen over (laughs) and then (laughs) mum was like jimmy What are you doing in there? And Dad thought that the house had sunk.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.